You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. Today I'm speaking with the great Christina Gausses. Hi, Hi Christina. Hi, Louis. Christina is coming to us fresh off uh, uh, a lovely buzzing high from the Del Close Marathon. It's so true. It was such a good marathon. Yeah. What struck you? Tell me about it. What? You know, the biggest thing, of course, it was just a really good marathon. I feel like every marathon has been fun, but this one just in particular was a really good marathon. The energy everywhere... I thought was good, but also like calm in a positive way and excited in a good way. Um, Ellie and I did a show, which, uh, loved it was, we, we, we had a great time doing that. And then I just watched really great ensemble work. It was so much fun. It was so much fun to watch really supportive, exciting Group work. Give me some examples. What what struck you? Because you seem very uh, uh, you seem elated since the last time we spoke. Together. Yeah, I do feel elated. <laughs> I, I think I was kind of down. I don't know. I, I am elated from it. One was the show that I did, which was the Stepfathers on Friday night, mm-hmm. and then the other was a show that I watched, which was Fwand, which was um, Ellie's Herald team Fwand. Um, uh, and just being with the Stepfathers again on Friday night, there were thirteen people in that show. And to have 13 people on stage and to have really incredible sharing. There was such give and take in that show. It felt so good to be a part of it because there was action-packed sharing. I don't know how else to say it. And I was really nervous about doing that show because... um, the stepfathers, obviously, they're together as an ensemble now. And so whenever I go to sit in with the show, I just never want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to do anything that is going to uh, disturb what they have going on in any way. And everybody was back for the marathon except for um, Andy Secunda and Brian Husky. And so there were 13 people, and it was so good to see everybody and it was really amazing. It was a really fun show, and it was really amazing to step on off stage and be like, "Wow, there were thirteen people on stage, and there was just excellent give and take, like excellent sharing of, of the stage." Yeah. So I feel like that really lives up to the stepfather's legendary, um, I don't know, professionalism, <laughs> pros, pros of improv that they could give and take like that. It was so much fun to be in. Do you find that stepping into a show like that when you're nervous about not wanting to screw it up for the people already on stage? Uh, um, like sometimes it ends up heightening your your sharpness in a show. It, I suppose that it can. I don't know if it does for me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if it does for me. I was just. I mean, when there, you know, when there's Peter Gwynn and Zach Woods and Bobby Moynihan and Billy Merritt and, and Michael Delaney, they're so good with coming up with one-liners that support a group game. Yeah. And Jordan Klepper, like just like getting into this, and Will Hines, like all of them, like uh, uh, everybody. I should mention all of them. I feel I feel embarrassed, like only mentioning a few names, but like just being able to come in, they, they're the way that their minds work in in a group mind, mm-hmm. uh, like in a group game, to be able to come up with these one-liners, it's uh, that fit in a group game. It's like so impressive. Yeah, my mind doesn't really work that way. So those are the kind of things where I don't know if my nervousness helps in any way. I just still stay nervous. I'm like I just want to be able to support. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then not mess anything up and like hopefully uh, and then just make it make it to a scene yeah. but the whole show felt incredibly support it was just incredibly supportive and to watch Sylvia I mean she's so funny they put her on the spot in a very good way in this group scene that she was uh, in a, uh, a woman at a high school reunion and everyone else was her ex, mm-hmm. someone who had dated her at one time. And it was like, now say all of our names and what our sexual preference was. <laughs> and she just went down the line, making up a name and giving everybody like some fetish kinkiness. And then she tagged it with, and Bobby Moynihan. It was just like so much fun. She was just so brilliant. It was just so much, it was just so much fun. Yeah. It was so much fun. And then watching Fwand, uh, you know, then we went over and, um, watched Fond and their transitions were beautiful. They were orchestral, the way that they supported each other. And so much fun to see people like Sean Hart and John Gabris. I'm like, I'm watching John Gabris. I wish he was a late night talk show host. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if it's a job that he would want, but he's so charismatic and fun and and, uh, all of them. Everybody in that show too. Gil, Shannon O'Neill, she's one of a kind. So much fun to watch. Yeah. And Ali, of course, but but what struck me as a group was the way that they transitioned. They would do these beautiful group transitions that I'm not used to seeing or I haven't seen in a, a long time, and it truly was their group mind in in action. You know, just their connectedness, their group mind in action, and it was beautiful to watch. And was they, it like an organic style transition between between scenes? Yeah, they would find just a word or some movement, and then all of them would. Follow it like just like a like you know like a swarm like they would just like follow it and everybody would support that transition and then it would f- unfold into something else. Yeah. They would they would physically take a place somewhere in the um, auditorium or physically you know go up to the screen on stage and some word would transition them and they just had these like really gorgeous physical transitions that were inspiring to watch. It was yeah. a great group mind. So I did feel elated. I felt elated coming off of like the, the watching those groups in action. That's kind of um, uh, the perfect takeaway from the marathon in general. Like what a way to celebrate the, this idea of preserving Dell's legacy, right? And Dell's contribution. That seems to be the ideal takeaway is seeing exquisite group mind. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know why I feel like I, 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 I don't know. I, I feel like I do see that, but I don't always see that. Yeah. Or, or maybe sometimes what people, if there's a, there's a complaint that comes to me from students or people who are on teams, it's, they feel like they, their group doesn't have group mind. Yeah. And so like to be a, a part of a group that, um, you know, I haven't been on the stepfathers in a long time. So like to be able to be part of that reunion show and to feel like really part of group mind and to watch an ensemble in group mind, um, was really it was just like really inspiring and like a really great recommitment um, to teaching, yeah. <laughs> you know, or yeah. in coaching ensemble and for also advi- I guess like giving people advice for, yeah. for, for for ensembles. Nothing gets your brain going better than seeing really outstanding work. It, it like it lights a fire in your head entirely, entirely. Yeah. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's so exciting. And to be with people, like, to be with people who really inspire you. And, for, and Saturday we did Mulaney Chain, which is Kevin Mulaney. Mm-hmm. It's impossible not to love Kevin Mulaney and Ellie and Sean Conroy, who I adore, and Billy Merritt. None of us have played together in that configuration before, which is what Mulaney Chain is. Yeah. Kevin asks one person, they ask another, they ask another, they ask another, till they get to five. And then that's the group. Um, 
And so that was the first time that we were all playing together. And we had, uh, and, um, we had, um, I'm talking about a show that I was in, so it sounds, I'm not saying this you're, in an egotistical way. No, you're free it's to about bring. the group. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> amazing connections. Yeah. Like maybe one of the most amazing connections that I've, the organic connections that I've ever had in a show. Yeah. In this five person show, just the five of us being together and just staying with each other and listening to each other was so much fun. You know, the, so yeah, this, this DCM for me was, um, I, I like it, yeah, it was so inspiring just yeah. to watch those groups and be part of a group. It almost makes me want to like go out and direct something, like get something new up off its feet. Yeah. It is that inspiring. Yeah, it makes you want to try harder. It it makes uh, you yeah. it makes you want to reach uh, 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 outside your grasp a little bit more. Yeah, because I think it, it you get you get good enough at improv that you can get comfortable laughs. Yes. And it's really easy to stay put knowing that I can keep on getting comfortable laughs and I'm playing with a group that's funny enough and we can keep on getting these comfortable laughs. And over time, you can kind of lose that sense of aspiration to try for something that's more than just getting good laughs. It's that thing of, of kicking your brains together into high gear and, and really invoking, uh, I mean, for, for lack of a, of a less arty way to say it, invoking a higher intelligence. Sense. Yeah, it is. It's the source. It's yeah. like the, it, it, it is, it is the source. It comes from, it, it, it is, it, yeah, it, the source of connection. Yeah. And that, I think it's kind of, it's almost painful, like over time when people have said to me, like, I don't, when they don't feel supported by their groups or, because support is everything. Mm-hmm. Like we are there to support each other on stage and it is hard when you don't see it or you don't experience it, it can almost, it can be a painful experience. Yeah. Because that's what it—that's it, what it's all about—to get on stage to improvise with other people, you really do need to support each other, and then that is really how you really do understand there are no mistakes. Yeah, you make everything fit into the pattern, and then it becomes something so much more than you ever could imagine that it could be. Yeah, and it all takes all it all that it takes is supporting each other. Doing enough to care. Yeah. Doing enough to care about the other person and not worrying that something is wrong or that you're not going to look good or you're not going to look right or, you know, hanging back. Yeah. But just fully, full on supporting someone else and being able to do that in a group and having your group support you. That's what it is all about. I, uh, uh, the couple of, of times that I can remember being in shows where like that magic happened, for me, it was an experience of, not even so much knowing what to do or knowing what to say, but being so keyed into the sense of timing on the stage mm-hmm. that I knew when to move. You don't know exactly what to say or what to do. You know when to do it. Yes. And there's the sense of everybody just kind of all playing in exactly the same time. And somehow this stuff is coming out of you that seems to be bypassing, at least for me, bypassing my kind of rational sensor part of my mind. I don't know exactly what I'm saying until it's out there. And then it turns out that it was the spot on thing to have said. And the only, the only thought I had doing it was now got to, got to do this now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's such, it's such an incredible, and it comes from just giving over, giving over to the group. Yeah. Like you are, you're paying attention in the moment and then exactly what you need happens. And I remember Sharna always used to tell that to us and it's true. (laughs) It's just true. Yeah. Like when you're just, when you just play it, 
You know, it, it comes to you. It, yeah. it comes to you. And I've heard other people, I've heard athletes say that, like football players saying that they just visually, they know everything that's happening on the field at all times. Yeah. People who play group sports, you know, things things like that. It's like just part of being that that connected to a group. And it does. It just, just absolutely comes to you. Yeah. And that feeling of... Um, your ensemble so supporting you and mm-hmm. you're all just going to go <laughs> and you're going to go and then it transforms and it's something incredible. Well, it makes me think of like you're being a little reluctant to brag about your own show uh, um, uh, because like there's something to in the same way that like a great uh, sports team pulls off, you know, uh, uh, this amazing Hail Mary or, or whatever, or, or, um, you know, like a group of hunters goes out or, you know, like you come back and you celebrate having pulled off this amazing thing. There is a thing where like, you're not exactly bragging, but you know that together you, you just faced this big uncertainty and you pulled through not only having made it, but having done something really spectacular. And it's not like a brag because you're not puffing yourself up with it. It's more just like, experiencing this high that happens when everybody goes beyond your own sense of potential. Right. Yeah. And helping that experience of having had the people around you help you go beyond your potential or, or at least, or at least express that potential manifest it, you know, exactly. And none of it is possible without each other. Yeah. I never feel comfortable when I never feel comfortable when someone after a show, an audience member will say to to someone else, I loved that line, mm-hmm. <laughs> or to me, yeah. I loved that line. That line never could have happened if someone else didn't set it up yeah. for that person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Or being singled out in a show never feels right yeah. because you never do it without the without someone else. You know, no great move comes without it being set up for you mm-hmm. by someone else. Mm-hmm. Or, and you doing the same for them. I think that going back to supportiveness in a group, like that word gets bandied around sometimes. And, and I, I think that sometimes you'll kind of encourage people to be supportive and they end up interpreting it to mean get out there with a smile on your face and kind of say yes to things, but you can, that can lead to really kind of passive or self-conscious behaviors. And then you see people doing the opposite of supportiveness. They're spending the entire time thinking about what they're supposed to be doing. You know, they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not attending to the show that's happening. You know, you're, you're more thinking about like, am I doing this correct? Am I supporting you right? Am I, one thing I've noticed watching really outstanding ensembles is, is not only is the give and take super sharp, not only is everybody aware where that focus is at any given point and, and is serving that focus, but people on really great ensembles uh, have an amazing awareness of the talents of the other people on stage uh-huh. with them and are constantly opening doors for each other, uh-huh. are, are constantly serving so so that now Christina Gauss is going to shine with this response. Uh-huh. You know, like... Um, there, and I don't know if that's a, a, a conscious, deliberate thing, or you just develop the feel for each other. But that, to me, more than anything, is the hallmark of a really great group. That that they're constantly empowering everybody else in the group to do the absolute best that they can. I think it's something to really be aware of because it's a genuine gift. It's yeah. it's a true gift to give to someone else. And Pat Bear said something very similar recently to me about something being a real gift. Yeah. 
it's not just a bailout. Yeah. I need help in this scene. That's so awesome. it's yeah. going to be like, hey, and now the senator's here. Yeah. <laughs> and you're calling on somebody to help bail you out. And someone in your ensemble has to enter the scene and play a senator versus actually giving someone a gift. Yeah. Like, you're on my team, Lewis, and I know you like to play scientists or you like to philosophy, you know, philo- uh, do something where you can be a philosopher or something like that. I should interrupt and say, I actually, I, I hate playing scientists. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I wouldn't do it. that to you. I'm pimped into it all the time. See, and, I and that's terrible. Yeah. See, so I think like everyone should take note. Don't pimp you into that. Please. Yeah. So it's like, uh, uh, to give you something, to actually give you a gift. Yeah. And it is true about our improv vernacular. It gets overused and then simplified where we don't, we don't necessarily remember it's the purpose right. of these things. Right. And so we have to uh, go to the source, go to the source, go to the source, you know, till we remember what, why that is really out there, right. you know, and that idea of giving a gift is to give a gift that it's going to be something that the other person is going to love. Yeah. You know, that's how you give a gift. Well, and it's also a reflection on who you are, totally. the kind of gift that you give. Yeah. You know, um, and so you're not just giving them a pimp or a bail me out. You're, you're giving them a gift of something that you believe they're going to love. So it's a reflection of you. Yeah. And, and also it's a reflection of, it has a meaning of that you value them. And so you're going to give them a true gift. Yeah. That's such a great, the, the, the difference between gift and bailout. I love that. Even just thinking about like government bailouts, but there is, there's something kind of similar to it because in both cases, when you're bailing somebody out on stage or when you're bailing out a a government or, or, or a corporation, there was a mismanagement of, of, uh, wealth. You've already mismanaged your investments. And so now you require a bailout or, or else this thing just can't continue. Right. Uh, um, it's a really underwater. interesting, yeah, yeah you're totally. underwater it, and you're there totally. waving your arms for help. Totally. Where yeah. there was opportunity to care, you know, I, I joked my way out of it or something. I painted myself into a quarter uh, and now I'm desperate for somebody to come in and make a saving move yeah. to get me out of this. Yeah. Whereas like uh, that sense of a gift, it, because a gift isn't only something that the other person loves. It's also something special that the two of you share together. Exactly. The act of giving a gift in and of itself is creating the opportunity for a shared special moment with this other person. Yeah. Two parts to every gift, yeah. the giving and the receiving. And yeah. the gift is not complete until it's received. Totally. Yeah. And and I I think that you could argue both ways. You could argue that an ideal gift is something that I know you're going to love. And you can also argue that an ideal gift is something that is very personal for me that I'm sharing with you. For sure. I, I'm, 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 I'm creating intimacy for us by letting you have access to a part of me that I don't normally, I'm letting my guard down with you. Absolutely. Letting your guard down is going to be a challenge. It's going to be fun. Yeah. It's going to be gritty. Yeah. It's going to be authentic for these characters. Yeah. You know, it's going to have meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I talk about this in classes a bunch. I, I did a show a couple of years ago and I actually don't know if it was a great show or not, but I remember it feeling like a great show. It, it just felt so fun and easy, but the best kind of easy, not like, oh, we got it. But yeah. that, that sense of like, no friction to this. We're, we're, we're just going for broke with it. And that particular night, there was a, a, a prospective agent in the audience looking at one of the people on our team. And we all knew it going in. So the, the mantra for the night was, we make her look good tonight. It's her show. It's not our show. And that was just the focus for it. And there was something about that that took all the pressure off of everything that it, it was just whenever she is in a scene, 
Chet Siegel. Uh, 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 her scene is amazing. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you just, at least I found myself not thinking the same kind of usual self-conscious things, I think, on stage. And that, to me, was like a real lesson in, in like, oh, that's supportiveness. That's when you want your partner to win. That's true, supportive. Yeah, that's really good. That's great. It's really, and then I've tried to, like, make exercises out of that. It doesn't quite work exactly. Yeah. You have to have, like, it has to be a real situation. But that, to me, was a huge lesson in in just how to be a good teammate. Absolutely. And how fortunate for Chad that like to have people who care about her and to have a team that would be so loving to not be jealous, to not be like, Oh, (laughs) you know, this agent is here to see you only you. What about me? You know, know? like to, to, to have that selflessness that truly, that really is what improv is about. Yeah. I, I feel that way sometimes when I play with people who I've never seen before or played with before, and I have no expectations, and and it, it, that it, that goes both ways too. I have no expectations about them, but I also know that they have no expectations about me. They don't mm-hmm. expect me to to do what I do, whatever the hell that is. And so every single moment with them feels special and feels elevated. Every little thing that they say, you take absolutely seriously. There's, there, you're not finding a way to, to get your funny fingerprints on it. You're just really believing what they're telling you and really responding in kind. And it has that same feeling of like, I don't know if selflessness is exactly the right word because that sounds too braggy, but it's that feeling of like, oh, I don't matter in this equation. This other person means everything. Uh-huh. I, I'm, it, it, I don't know the right word for it. I guess selflessness is the closest one. For me, it's almost like a feeling of like transparency. Like it's it's almost like, like sometimes I'm on stage and I have a very strong sense of like what the audience expects me to do or something. Uh And and really bad shows, I'll feel that very, very actively. Um, And then other times I'm in shows where I just kind of feel like, oh, I don't care what anybody thinks about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. What I'm doing doesn't matter in this show. And and I I don't mean that in a cynical way. I mean that in a way where it's like, oh, it's my values have been realigned. The other person is more important than me. I don't know. Maybe I should be thinking like that all the time. I, to me, that sounds like IO. That sounds like Dal and Sharna take care of your scene partner and they take care of you. Like mm-hmm. maybe the selflessness is just thinking you're taking your, your, the action of taking care of your scene partner yeah. or taking care of everyone else in, in your ensemble, like yeah. whoever else you're on stage with, you're taking care of them. Yeah. And that is, I guess that all comes from listening and saying yes to their ideas. Yeah. Well, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I, I I find myself worrying a lot on stage, very selfishly, worrying about if I'm going to be funny enough, worrying about if I'm going to be smart enough, worried worried if I'm a good enough actor to pull off what I'm supposed to pull off, and it always fucks with the show. It like so much of improvising for me is trying to diminish that sense of worrying and get it off my shoulders and instead focus on the value of the people around me. It's happening actually like your brain is split while you're on stage. You're feeling your part of your mind is thinking that if I don't feel a connection, Uh uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I will kind of disassociate a little bit and I'll start to have, like, I'll have to talk myself out of worrying about can I pull this off? You're so good. You have nothing to worry about. Like your audience is just enjoying everything. And you're a really good improviser. Well, thank and like you. really engaging. Thanks. So you think it's interesting that like someone is as good as you are where anybody who would watch you would think, well, that person doesn't have any doubt in the world, still experiences 
that sense of loads of it. And it it, it, it happens to everybody all of the time. Maybe it never goes away. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I mean, it comes and goes for me. I don't know. Do you experience that? Do you ever, do you ever worry that you're not going to be able to pull off what's expected of you? Oh, I worry up until we walk on stage. And then, um, once I'm on stage, I don't think about anything else except what's happening immediately. Yeah. Like what? And so I guess like in that way, I'm lucky. Yeah. Do you think, going back for a second, do you think that, uh, um, having been in the, in, in the scene in Chicago in the nineties at, at like a, a, a really special time and having been in the scene in New York at a really special time in the two thousands and, and being here now, do you think that improvisers in general, this is probably too broad a question, but do you think that we're not aiming high enough? Do you think that people have kind of, uh, uh, are lowering their expectations of how good they can be as groups? As groups. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean as individuals. I mean, I th- they're individually, improvisers are as good as they've ever been. But as groups, do you see as many groups that are inspiring for you that show that dynamic that really lit you up during the marathon? I don't know if I see enough groups to answer the question appropriately. Yeah. I should go out and see more groups. Yeah. I mean, I think what improv has accomplished, like how... It has grown, and I, I mean, is it appropriate to say improv is so big now? Like, mm-hmm. the theaters are are so big um, and uh, so influential, which is amazing. Like, that's, that's spectacular to see. I don't... Um, I don't know. I'm trying to, like, think through this thoughtfully. I haven't... I can honestly say I don't think that I have seen groups enough to to answer appropriately. Um, And I don't know if groups are coming together in the same way with the same goal. Mm -hmm. And when I say I don't know, I don't mean that like as a rhetorical, I don't know. I literally don't know. Mm -hmm. Because it kind of used to, like in my experience, we would put together a group and then we would want to stay together as that group and then create new forms and create new forms and create a new form. You know, and I was lucky enough to be part of this really great group. Um, uh, I mean, I guess our name would have been Atlantis, but (laughs) it was... um, Noah Gregoropoulos was part of it, and Alex Fendrich, and uh, T.J. Jagodowski, and uh, Dave Hill, all these really great people, Michael Bertrando. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to be together as a group, create a form. Someone then would step outside of the group, be the director for the next form. Oh, that's interesting. And then they would direct that form. Then someone would step outside the group, be the director for the next form, and then it would be a new show. The subject came out of Mm -hmm. that. Um, And that was like in the early 2000s. So like 2001, 2002, 2003, and uh, went on into 2004. I moved to New York then. But, um, but we really wanted to do that as, as a group, you know, and explore. And if somebody wanted to direct to give them that, that opportunity, we would rehearse for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. we'd spend two months in, in rehearsals, you know, really trying to create something that would be an original form. Um, Things probably happen faster for people now. Mm-hmm. That's a, I mean, if I can share a pet peeve with you, uh, I think people give up on forms way too quickly uh, these days. You know, uh, um, I mean, speaking as someone who, who uh, uh, you know, like I help to manage the teams here, 
Um, I think people get disheartened when a new form doesn't instantly become successful or isn't instantly riveting. And instead of like working on it for months and, and really troubleshooting it, they'll just kind of lose interest and want to move on to Yeah. And, 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 and I think that the long-term effect on that is you lose a little bit of discipline and you get comfortable letting your shows just be funny. Mm-hmm. And, and no criticism of a show. I mean, if you can pull off a show that's funny, good for you. You know, like, well done. But you can do so much more than that, too. Absolutely. And you have to, I mean, for every group, you have to be able to have great scene work first. Yeah. You have to have consistently great scene work. And then think about what form you would like to create or explore. You know, don't... I, that's that's how I feel. Like when when I look at groups, I'm like, don't think that learning, say, JTS Brown is going to help you any if you don't feel like you are having consistently great scenes. Mm-hmm. That's something that people will ask me often. Can you coach us? Can you teach us JTS Brown? <laughs> something like that. I could, like what I remember of it, but I always ask them first, are you having consistently great scenes? Mm -hmm. And if their answer isn't immediately yes, I say, well, make sure that, you know, your content comes first, that you are able to really like create great scenes because your form isn't going to save you. Mm -hmm. Form is just form. And honestly, like rather than to try to do something, uh, a form that uh, is already an existing form, Create something that is your own signature style and that is, you know, rooted in form and trying something new. Like the subject was all Alex Fendrich thinking about memories Mm -hmm. and uh, thinking about how memories affect us in everyday life and thinking about Jungian psychology and dreams. Amazing. Yeah. And an improv form, a really beautiful improv form came out of that. Yeah. Because the people, you know, it came from the people, JTS Brown too. I mean, my God, when I think about that show... We rehearsed that show for six months. Before you premiered anything. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But that's the kind of work <laughs> ethic that I'm talking about. It's like, how we, many people are doing that? We never gave it a second thought. We yeah. would have a rehearsal space of Wrigleyville, which is this sports bar. Yeah. Like, by Wrigley Field, like, right there where I, the, where I oh, used to be. Yeah. And we would, like, re- we rehearsed that show for six months. Can you, can you, can you describe JTS Brown? JTS Brown was a show with no edits, no walk, no walk-ons, no split scenes. It, we had little um, scenic devices that we all knew as a cast and understood how to use as a cast, and then, however, we put those together, that would create our show every night. Mm-hmm. And there was scenes, but whatever we would initiate would be like a new device that we would recognize right away. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, uh, they were all very kind of scenic and interesting and um, like, I don't know, unusual, I guess I I would say. And then we would, uh, however they felt together, that would be what the show was Mm -hmm. for that night. Craig Kukowski directed that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Joe Bill worked with us, Mick Napier worked with us, and Craig stuck with us yeah. <laughs> and like really saw us all the, I mean, Joe and Mick just didn't have time, yeah. at, you know, after a while and, and Craig, I'm sure didn't have time either. He was like working full time on the second city ETC stage, but he was really excited about it because it was new and it was different. You know, it was scenic, but, but we had all these like little interesting things, like uh, the, the whole show was just original Yeah, and, uh, and, and he saw us all the way through. Yeah. I read something, he was talking about the show and he was talking about that the theme of the show for him was supportiveness, that it was just seeing how far you can go by making supportiveness the central 
concern of the entire thing. Yeah. Um, so there's total freedom in terms of how you support yeah. these initiations or support these choices. I thought that that was really interesting. I, there's a, a, do you know uh, Bill Arnett's blog? I, I, I don't know. It's a, it's I'm a, sure that, yeah, I, I'm sure I've heard of it, but I have not read it. It's a good blog. And yeah. now I'm spacing on great. what it's called. I've never met him, but I, I'm, I'm a fan just based on his blog. And in one of his, uh, one of his essays, he was saying that if you go to like a guitar school, um, there are different, there are different styles of picking at the guitar and, and you don't just learn guitar, but you can learn, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 bluegrass or you can mm-hmm. learn uh, like a rock style or you know whatever it is and for all these different approaches to playing the guitar you have to learn different ways to think about how you're expressing yourself musically but then when you go to improv schools uh, um, there's like the tenets of yes and uh, 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 and agreement and supportiveness and it's sort of these like blanket statements that are meant to include everything and his point with the article was if you look at different shows and different groups different groups are actually f- focused more on very specific kind of key points or key values. Mm -hmm. If you're in a group where the focus is on character work, then you're probably going to be prioritizing um, uh, uh, having strong opinions on things and having big reactions and letting things build and letting tension grow. If you're in the kind of show that's fast-paced and gamey and funny, then you're going to be prioritizing yes-anding. You're going to be prioritizing finding unusual things, patterning if this, then wadding things. If you're in a show that focuses on supportiveness, then you're going to be prioritizing making bold choices. You're going to be prioritizing physicalization. And I, I thought that that was a really interesting article because it, mm-hmm. it makes you have to think more closely about the nature of the show that you're aiming to put on. Mm-hmm. Not just how are we going to accomplish it, but what's the intention behind the show? What what's the goal? What effect are we aiming to have at the end of it? Yeah, I think every group can do that. Herald teams can do that. Totally. You know, look at who you are as a group, uh, your age group, your demographic, your style, your taste. What is your signature style? What is it that you, as an ensemble, want to convey? Yeah. That that would be your your signature style. And individuals too. Who are you as a performer in this very bare art form? Who do you want to be when you? Get up on stage. What do you want to say? What do you want to say to the the world? You know, improv is like one of the... You don't have to be like anybody else. Like improvisation values original individuals. You know, so what do you... Who are you? You know, who are you in this? So, yeah, that's... I think think that's important for every, every group to do. Recognize, like... What they are, what the, you know, who, who they are as a group, a, a, a signature style, and then also what they want to give, mm-hmm. because the performance is just a, you know, performing is an act of giving. So what do you want to give? Yeah. What do you want to give? I want to go back for a second to to talking group mind. Before we started the podcast, we were talking a little bit about Dell, and um, you were saying, if you don't mind me paraphrasing you, that uh, you get nervous sometimes having lovely stories about Dell and not having the dark, <laughs> twisted stories that everybody wants. Yeah. I feel like I have such fond memories of Dell, and, I, and, I, and then I'm always giving a disclaimer, like, maybe that's because I had him later. Yeah. Um, but he was, like I used the word sweet, he was very sweet uh, to, to my class. Um, uh, but, but, I mean, 
we were all like we all wanted to please him yeah. and we were all there to learn and it was a serious you know it was a serious environment um, and what I remember most about Dell's classes always is that he stressed authenticity, um, nothing artificial, not going for jokes, not going for like topical jokes, just inserting something topical with no basis. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that has always stayed with me. Um, creating complete characters. Like, I remember this from class, you know, him saying, like, if you're going to create this character, you know, you have to be able to follow them home and know what they eat. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. you really instantaneously step into this person and you have to make immediate choices with what kind of vocabulary they use, references, you know, s- specifics for who they are. And you do it immediately. Yeah. Um, and then also in Dell's class, it was really where it struck me that listening and being in the moment are the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get really, I really understood that in his class. Mm. They're not the necessary, you know, they aren't exactly, you can't have one without the other. Right. Listening puts you in the moment and you can't be in the moment if you're not listening. Mm-hmm. And that being in the moment is your most powerful place to be in every scene. And um, then I really understood uh, listening. I always knew listening from level one with Sharna because she was always, you know, making sure that we were listening and listening and responding, listening and responding. But it was really with Dell that I was like, oh, listening and being in the moment, that's the, the same thing. Yeah. I, uh, I think it might be in TJ and Dave's book, but one of them made the point that, uh, uh, I'm sure I'm misquoting this horribly, but you're not improvising when you're talking. You're improvising when you're not talking and hearing the other person. And reading that put me on like a three-week kick of like feeling amazing about everything because I was like, oh, I cannot talk. That's fine. That's the best part of the scene is when I'm actually just engaged. And the point of it is not don't talk, but the point of it is make the shit that you're inventing off the top of your head less important to you than what you're actually receiving from the people around you. Let that sink in. And that's where the real improv is taking place. That exactly. I'm, 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 this imaginary life is coming to life because you're feeding it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I, it all. Yeah. The yes. And is saying yes to the other person's idea. Right. It's not the literal yes. And sentence per sentence declaration per declaration. It's yes to the entire idea, yeah. how they're standing, how they're holding their shoulders, how everything, yeah. you know, and I remember expansiveness from Dell's class being expansive with the work. And what does that mean? It means up, down, outward, side to side fullness, you know, like you just not being literal, but being expansive. That's, can can you talk about that a little bit more? Well, I guess like if a suggestion was peanut butter, you don't just begin the scene literally eating peanut butter. Maybe, um, you're refugees, (laughs) you know, somewhere, you know, however you get to that. Uh, you take it, you just take, take things thematically for universal overarching themes. And this idea of like being on stage is holding a mirror up to your audience and holding a mirror up to, to reflecting, reflecting what exists in the world. And then that's what people engage with, what everyone relates to. And laughter, I think comes from when people feel something, Mm -hmm. 
you know, so it, it I don't know. It's one you of my favorite notes that you ever gave me was, uh, had to do with suggestions. And it was the idea that, that you want to find the universal behind the really, the really uh, specific, and you want to find the really specific manifestation of the universal. Mm-hmm. So if you have a big idea as a suggestion, you want to find a really concrete moment for that. And if you have a really nothing idea, uh, you know, your suggestion is coffee, you want to find the universal implication behind coffee mm-hmm. and and uh, that has always been uh inspirational to me to think about i love that and th- it, it goes back to the reason why i bring up dell is because like uh, it, people like hearing the the larger than life stories about him and and they like the like rebel thing there's something kind of like outlawish about him that's appealing to people but what i take away from stories about dell is um uh, this idea of constantly challenging people to go past what you think the limits are of, of what this is or what you can do, to constantly challenge people to aim higher, to think smarter, to go deeper, to f- surprise yourself with how much you know or how much you're capable of realizing, to be surprised by the people around you, to be generous to the people around you. And really that 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 very ambitious thing of of never letting yourself take it easy. Absolutely. Never settling for, for just good enough. Absolutely. But wanting to go, wanting to really explore what, what, what a group mind is. Mm -hmm. Group mind for sure. And in your scene and in scene works, it was like, there, there's so much to say. What are you going to say today? Yeah. What do you have to say? Do you have nothing to say? Or is, is that all you have to say? It's small. Yeah. Like is that is that is that it? Yeah. So you you have to have more. Yeah. And yeah, that was that was absolutely what being in, in class with Dell was. It was like, who are you? You're all adults. What do you have to say? Yeah. Don't give me high school scenes. You know. Don't give me locker room scenes. You know. What 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 is there? What what do you, what is inside of you, and yeah. how can you manifest it through a character? What kind of character can you become? And he would stop people and just have them sit down if he felt like they betrayed their characters, if they forced something, if they wedged something in, if he felt like they cut the legs out from what they had created for their characters. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, just don't, you know, just sit down. Mm-hmm. Two people up, you know, and you wouldn't even need a note because that like everyone would understand what they did and there would be that bit of shame yeah. and just internalizing it and knowing, okay, I'm going to do better next time. When you know that you're playing for, for the smartest person in the room, <laughs> who's like really has a, a really well-honed bullshit detector and yeah, right. uh, you know, like you, you do when you, when you step off track and you do something less then <laughs> you really feel that sense of like, Oh man. But, but it, it keeps you, aspiring, right? Like For sure. And there believe me, there were people. It's like the people who didn't like Dell's class who would be like, well, whatever. He's just this like like would, you know, say something dismissive or something rude about Dell or like would not because people would take his class several times yeah. in a row if, yeah. if they if they could. The people who wouldn't do it again were just the people who were like, well, they're making excuses for themselves all throughout their lives. Uh-huh. So, yeah. That's very interesting. 
uh, uh, can you talk more about that? That's a very, that's, I'm very curious about that. <laughs> well, I just remember specific people, like if people would be like, whatever, you know, if somebody had a, a whatever feeling about Dell or, you know, he's overrated or some, something like that, which was complete nonsense. Um, usually that was just that per- person just, tr- it was just a tremendously insecure person who was just projecting a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, just someone who was used to they themselves and and their immediate circle making excuses mm. for themselves and and uh, yeah you know they really wouldn't like stick with the work or get any better mm-hmm. they would still do their same thing mm-hmm. do you it's, yeah do you think that that part of that came out of disappointment of, of not just getting like specifically comedy training because uh, uh, like it, from, from what I understand talking to different people it seems like some people kind of got Dell and what they took from him was how to be a better comedian some people got Dell and what they took was how to be a better actor some people got Dell and what they took was how to think more expansively like it, it seems like people got very very different lessons from his class but do you think that some people went into it just kind of looking for make me funnier uh, the people that I'm remembering, it was more like they're, they were just, they either, they wanted to be stroked all the time, uh-huh. and if they weren't, then ev- that other person was just An a terrible person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like when someone is looking to be offended, they'll find offense sure. everywhere. Yeah. And if they can't deal with it, they, they just can't, you know, they just walk away. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I don't know, like it it just is so weird with people's different personality types. Like some people, they just want to get complimented all of the time. Mm -hmm. And if they don't get those compliments, then they are just, uh, so, upset yeah. like internally upset or outwardly upset they'll like complain it's like nobody owes you compliments like yeah. nobody owes you good notes <laughs> nobody uh, no one owes you good notes i don't know what to say take what you know take learn what you can learn take what you can take and keep getting better mm-hmm. it's not a personal thing if someone isn't giving you every bit of positive feedback that you think that you deserve yeah does that make sense? It does. It does. And I, like coaching wise, I think that there's an art and a, and a skill to like being able to adapt your notes to most effectively communicate with the person that you're talking with. Like I, I don't, I, I think blanket notes one way or the other aren't the greatest thing in the world personally. No. And, and there is a skill in, in, because ultimately with a note, the note is not about you as a coach or teacher being right or incisive. The Absolutely note is not. about communicating to somebody something that they're going to be able to effectively use next time they get up. So, right. so I think a really good teacher is someone who helps to kind of, um, uh, get your head back in the game, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so like different people will take different strategies to like speak very directly to someone. And, and I think you try your best to kind of, talk to that person in their language so mm-hmm. they get it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I forget where I was going with this well, idea. Well, I think, like, and with Dell, Dell would never couch or dilute anything that he had to say. Right. So you had to be able to, you know, it was like a, it was like a graduate course. You know, you couldn't expect to be coddled in, in any way. So it's like he, he just, he wasn't going to dilute anything. And, you know, he never, you know, I never watched him or experienced him to be like, rude or aggressive he would just simply state what his note was yeah 
And when you get that, you know, you, you're getting that from someone. He's kind of like a Forrest Gump figure. He was like, <laughs> he was every, in the second half of the 20th century, he was like at every um, relevant everywhere. cultural touchstone. He was there in the background somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so when you're getting very direct feedback, good, bad, or otherwise, from someone who's kind of seen it all. Just consider yourself fucking lucky. Yeah. that's, that's Just a, consider yourself fucking lucky. This is a guy who's else. really lived life. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. lived a lot more life than most people have, yeah. and he's telling you exactly what he sees, and there's got to be something to that. that just be happy. Go home and think about it. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody can handle that. Yeah. And that's too bad. Yeah. But, you know, Sharna was the same way with her, with, with, uh, with her direct notes. So is Susan Messing. So it was like every teacher that yeah. I had. And thank God, because it's like at IO, I mean, the very first scene that I ever did in my level one with Sharna as my level one teacher, the person who was my scene partner very clearly set up that we were like backstage at a, like backstage at a theater green room putting on makeup, right? And um, I immediately yes-anded in the activity, you know, in silence. And then the other person had the initiating line. I don't remember what it was. And then I started to talk. And Sharna used to sit very close to the stage to hear. And she stood up and she said, oh, my God, you didn't listen to your scene partner at all. Stop. Give her that line again. Mm -hmm. Had the scene partner give me the line again. And we did the scene over. And I was like... Thank God, that's the best improv note I've ever gotten in my first scene on my first day of my level one class with this teacher. And she's absolutely right. I was in my own mind with the physicality of being backstage. I had thought up something that I was enamored with what I was going to say. And I I didn't listen to the initiation. I just went ahead with what I was going to say. That note was excellent. This woman is not going to waste my time and she's not going to waste my money. And I'm so happy that I'm here. Yeah. And then I wound up being on a team. She was trying to put together a team of, in, of level one students from that, that level one class. But I was so thankful to that note because that note on that day taught me listening. <laughs> You know, and yeah. it's like, thank God. She's right. Yeah. She's absolutely right. And I say all the time, time is your only non-renewable resource. You can mm-hmm. never make more time. Mm-hmm. You can make more money if you lose it. You can um, find love again if you lose it. But you can never find time again if mm-hmm. you lose it. Mm-hmm. So you want to be with teachers who are not going to waste your time. Yeah. And with other people who are who are not gonna gonna waste your time. Yeah. So yeah. And you and I have talked about this before. Like I, like uh, with uh, students, you know, I think like if 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 I I ask a lot of my students, I'll ask them to make adjustments on their feet, begin a, a scene again. But uh, with students, everyone has the right to learn. Mm-hmm. And you want, they honestly don't know. When you're a student, you really don't know. So it's a, a relationship where you really want to honor that, yes, I, I will teach you everything. If you have questions, ask them. You know, like, I, really, it's, it's here to teach. Coaching is a little bit different because, yes. yeah, at that time when, if somebody's on a team, say they're over 30, they've been performing for a long time, they've gone through the the programs at like three different theaters, and you're what I would call a professional improviser. Even if you aren't being paid, people are paying to see you. You're getting stage time. Agents will come see you. It matters that you're up on stage. I'm a little different than when I coach. Mm -hmm. 
because it's again that feeling of like I can't you can't make excuses for yourself like mm-hmm. really you have to hear this note like because you can't be on a job and still expect to make this kind of excuse for yourself you're letting yourself down that's the biggest shame of all if you let if you let yourself down yeah I I sometimes I'll experience it because like I'm a very gentle teacher mm-hmm. um, um, I like I here, here's my two thoughts on like very direct notes I, I think that there's a certain kind, and, and it's it, partly the teacher and partly the student and partly the day that you happen to give a direct note. Mm-hmm. But there are some direct notes that wake you up. Maybe they're a slap in the face, but you're more awake after hearing that note. And then there are other direct notes that just kind of drive you deeper inside yourself. Mm-hmm. Like I'll give you an example. Years ago, I was in a group and we were, all of us were maybe had been improvising for like three months or something. Um, and as a, like, we had never done any shows. We were just like practicing. And we had a coach who, who would stop scenes after the first line to start. No, uh, 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 Christina just pointed to herself and asked, and said, was, was it, it me? me? No, it was not. <laughs> but we would be stopped after the first line and like interrogated on every point about what we had just done. And oh. then it would be told of like, nope, that wasn't the game. This is completely wrong. Here's the right move to be made. Oh. And, and that was not an appreciated direct note because it was the kind of thing that for months afterwards, you second guess every choice that you make, knowing that I'm not being, my choices are not being watched from someone who appreciates what might be unique about this. I, I'm being evaluated from, out of the gate as if I'm doing this incorrectly. Now, whether that's true or not, that was the effect that it had on me. And it took months and a bunch of classes with Armando to shake it out of my system. Right. And then like the flip side to that is like Armando is like the best example of someone who doesn't give a lot of notes, doesn't talk a lot, lets you make your mistakes. And what I love so much about his classes early on was you could make a mistake in a scene and instead of being called out, you would just be get up and do another couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. So you got the bad taste of that mistake out of your mouth. And then he would say something incredibly brilliant to mm-hmm. you. Whereas like Kevin Dorf, when I was in his class, he gives these great direct notes, but he had an interesting way of doing it. You would play for a shitload of time first and he wouldn't say anything. And then he would kind of get up and he would talk for 45 minutes and it would just be this rambling monologue about everything. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of this rambling monologue, he would point to you directly and say one thing to you that would be like a slap in the face, Mm -hmm. but in the greatest way possible. And it's like, oh my God, you're right. I am that guarded. I bring that much defensiveness with me all around. And you would like think about it in a very positive way for like, I'm still thinking about notes I got from him nine years ago. Me too. Yeah. Um, uh, where the hell is it going? Oh, um, so this is what, so, so like when I'm teaching, I take a little bit more of the Armando approach. I tend uh-huh. to, 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 um, space out my notes to people. Um, I tend to just kind of give more opportunities to get up and, and, you know, wash a bad experience out of your mouth. I think then that people who will then later on have me as a director for something or a coach for something are a little bit surprised to find that I don't couch my notes in like positivity and warmth. Yeah. I'll be very direct of like why I thought something didn't work and something that I've encountered a lot when I, when I get that way and I'm being direct is like resentfulness among people. Some people will become not only defensive, but like resentful, which in my mind is like, I'm not, I don't mean anything personal by it. And I'm not not. trying to be mean by it, Of course not. but you, you got to do better than this. And, and you can't 
flinch when you're told you got to do better than this. Right. You got to use that as the challenge. Of course. Which is, well, anyway, your thoughts on that, please. Yeah. And it's two different experiences, you know, as a student and then as a performer being coached or especially being directed, you know, being directed if, if you're going to put up a, a show. And I think everyone has to be aware of that. And that's everyone's responsibility to be accountable to themselves. And you can't become resentful because it's not... It's not personal. Yeah. Of course it's not personal. Like everything is there to make the ensemble better, make an individual performer better, to bring everything together better. Yeah. You can't have your feelings hurt over a note. You, and you just have to listen to the note, take it home, think about it, and, and work from there. And try it too. And absolutely it, try it. Because yeah. this is like a big thorn in my ass is... is when you give a note, whether whether it's like a hard note or not a hard note, but you give a note and you're really trying your best to be perceptive and, and helpful. And then the person who gets the note, you never even see them make the attempt. To, you to make the adjustment out to, of spite. And it's yeah. like, well, that that's it's so rude. stupid. Yeah. It's, it's not only rude, but it's like... What are you going to get from this experience? It's then? a failure. Yeah, it's a failure. Yeah. You got to at least try. I might be wrong in the note that I gave you. Yeah, but you got to at least make the effort to act on that note. It's a contract between a coach and a team. For or, sure. You know it, that I'll try my best if you're tr- if you try your best, and right. there's nothing personal to it. We're all aiming for the same thing to bring out the best that you guys are capable of. To bring out, I think of it as like the X Men. Even though we already talked about comic books before the podcast, neither of us knows much of anything about. I comic don't know books. anything about. Them. But yeah. I think of it as like. Teams are made up of different superheroes. Everyone has a different, unique quality or several unique powers to it. But then the group effort is uniting these powers, you know, to to see what this, what everyone's capable of together. Exactly. I mean, I would like, I have to, I think of the phrases grow up or grow out of it, Mm -hmm. where it's like, if you're going to be on stage, of course you have to take the note. (laughs) And like right now it's fairly like low stakes. Like if you're going to be working at a show or on a movie set or on a film set, like what we do is very important, but you have to be able to take notes. If you're in an audition and a director gives you an adjustment, you have to be able to do it. You can't silently be offended that somebody, a showrunner or a director gives you an adjustment. You have to be able to implement it. And, um, yeah, people just have to let go of the idea of like anything is personal. That happens to me. Like sometimes people will think that like, uh, they'll come up to me and they'll say like, I think this person said this thing to me on stage and they meant it for me. I'm like, I guarantee you it's just their character. It's character to character. Nobody's trying to say something mean to you on stage. (laughs) You know, like that's just not happening. So, uh, people really have to let that go and just listen to their listen to their coaches like we all have and I have to say like coming through training in Chicago that was something that we never got away with mm-hmm. like we were just not indulged in that way that we could have any kind of um, emotional poutiness or resentfulness that we acted out on in in any way yeah. and honestly we just wouldn't even think of being that way yeah of, it's totally inappropriate yeah there because there is like an element, you know, obviously it's very vulnerable when you're up on stage and yes. obviously you feel like shit when things aren't going well and you know it, you don't need to have it pointed out when things aren't going well. And, and, and obviously like a lot of people are driven to perform because you have a certain amount of wanting appreciation from other people and you want compliments and all that stuff. Um, 
But you got to like develop the habit to think of, of taking notes easily. You got to oh. develop the ability to hear a note and respond with, okay. 100%. You just can't, because once you start internalizing how hard it is to change things, once you get into that story, then it really does become impossible. And you immediately go into default mode the next time you hit the stage. You immediately go back to old habits. Mm-hmm. You don't push yourself to expand. And that, to me, going back to Dell for a second, that's what I always take from listening to people's stories about Dell is, is that pushing for more. As a group, the, the function of the group mind, it works sort of like a mob. In a mob, people become more courageous. The, 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 the courage intelligence of a mob goes up exponentially. And when you're part of a mob, you're capable of these actions that you would never be capable of as an individual. But your, your smarts go way down. Mm-hmm. And the idea, in my understanding, behind Harold and behind long form in general is uh, smart mob mentality using that sense of, of uh, the way that being surrounded by a group or team can push you to go beyond your limits, can push you to do things that you didn't think you were capable of doing, but your brain power goes up instead of down. You mm-hmm. become smarter because you're tapping into this group intelligence. Yeah, it's group, yeah. Like mob, I think out of control, and group, I think like connected and exactly. controlled. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, but that idea of like you're being pushed beyond limits. You're being pushed because there are things that you're capable of doing that you don't even know you're capable of doing. And so, and so these shows and these endeavors where you're working as a team are these opportunities to explore the unknown, mm-hmm. right? You're exploring, I think of it like Star Trek a little bit. You're functioning as a team and everybody has a different strength and everybody has a different skill and, and there's a wide diversity on that team and everybody assumes competence and assumes excellence from everybody else on the team and you work together to go face the unknown. Yeah, and, and to, together and, you are pioneers into the unknown. Exactly, yeah. which is how it feels when you're in an amazing show you did something that's where that bragging comes in that's where that feeling of elatedness comes in you know that you genuinely had an experience that was outside the comfort range of everybody you gave over to something else which is the group mind and then the group mind gave back to you totally and and that requires courage mm-hmm. it, it, oh. it it means you can't sulk in your shit it means that you Absolutely. have to when when the mission fails you pick yourself back up again and you give yourself the adjustment okay next time i'll try it no problem. Right. Easy. And that's, you know, it, in those times also for people who are like that, they want to not, they should not have enablers around them. Right. Meaning people who make excuses for them. Right. Going back to what I was saying before. Yeah. Because I remember a time when I was just starting out, I didn't get an audition. I called my mom crying that I didn't get this audition. And she was like, Christina, get better. Mm-hmm. Just get better get so good that they can't say no to you. Mm-hmm. That was my mother's advice 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, just get better. And she was right. I was not that good at that time. I had no right. I shouldn't have gotten that. Yeah. <laughs> gotten that audition. So, so that, was a, that was a, a waking up kind of direct note for you. That- yeah, I was like, I didn't have a, you know, I wasn't being like, oh my gosh. You know, she didn't come at me with like, oh, but you're so good. They, yeah. Those jerks, they should have done. You know, she was like, get better. Yeah. Get better. And, and that is, that has always stayed with me. Yeah. So then you just have to get better. So I think for people like that, like you, they shouldn't have people making excuses for them. Yeah. How did you, how did you, how did you get better? Work. You just work your ass off and listen and take notes. Yeah. 
and try and care. Yeah. You know, caring is just such a big part of it. And, and not uh, uh, get caught up in gossip or, or like personal politics. Like try to stay out of that as yeah. much as possible. Um, I think that's so harmful. <laughs> I think that's so harmful. I mean, it's so hard to see people still in their 30s and 40s like trying to exclude people or trying to say bad things about people mm-hmm. that aren't even true. Like I have, and that's still hard to to see. Like to try to see someone who tries to manipulate their friends, tries to per- persuade their friends to exclude someone or not like someone. Um, you know, dogpile on someone, gossip about someone. You yeah. know, it's like. I don't know. I think I just think that's awful well, and mean spirited. There's an inclusion thing, right? It's not just an improv; it's in any community that mm-hmm. that spontaneously forms and 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 has its own values and has its own language to it. it people will get hooked up in the inclusiveness of it and and the power that comes in being included and the power that comes in in getting to exclude other people. And that's where it becomes more... And I have nothing against, incidentally, the clubhouse aspect of improv. Obviously, that's a big draw for a, for a lot of people. It's a place to come, and it's a place where people like you, and it, it fulfills a lot of social needs that we have. But you lose sight over time when you get hooked up to this thing of who's in and who's out and, and who's top and who's bottom and all that shit. You lose sight over the mission of the Starship Enterprise, which is to to face the unknown and seek out new life and new civilizations, which to me is like, as a group that's, as corny as that sounds, that's what it is. It's we're coming together to face the unknown and bring our best to it and assume excellence among everybody on the team and just fucking do it. Right, and it's like, yes, exactly. And it's the antithesis of improv. Like, you don't have to like everybody else, but just respect people. Mm -hmm. You know, or like res- respect people. Like, I don't know. I have no desire to try to hurt somebody's reputation, like say bad things about them or something yeah. like that. And I think it's like, it's just, it's terrible to hear yeah. when things like that, like s- still go on. Yeah. And I'm lucky, like I have friends that people around me don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> my, my friends don't do that. So it's like, it's good. Yeah. You know, you have to you have to be very aware of like making sure that your friends let you be you and they don't, they don't try to, yeah, that they don't do that. That that's just not part of who they are. Can we talk for a second about, um, uh, you said something earlier when you were talking about Dell's class where you, you were being held accountable for the authenticity and for giving your, what you have to give for sharing your voice. You're not only a great improviser, but you're also a great actor. You're an outstanding actor. Um, can you talk me through your thoughts on on what makes great acting great, and and the relationship between acting another person versus uh, um, inhabiting a role by giving what you have to give and by saying what you have to say. Does that make sense or it is does. that like really broad? No, it doesn't. It does make sense because the, the latter is what you do on the improv stage. Yes. You know, it, instantaneously as you create this character, you're bringing what you have on stage in that moment to a, a character. And I think like there, there are two parts of it. One always is your technical mastery of improvisation. That's you on stage. Your ability to stay in the moment, to actively listen, to know how to move a scene forward, support, have discovery, um, the the mechanics of the scene, right? Your technical aspect of the scene. And then um, your style, you know, that is... Uh, 
where your talent comes in. I really feel like technical mastery is skill, and then your style is talent. And when those two come together, that's where you see the most amazing improv work, and that's where you see improvisers really come into their own, mm-hmm. when they can like fully embrace those two parts. And for me, it's the ghost in the machine. I as improviser and the machine and then the characters are the ghosts that come live in that machine that's from scene to scene mm. because it's always your technical part as an imp- like that's me Christina Gauss the technical part of me exists on stage being aware of how to move my scene forward and support and interact with my scene partner mm-hmm. then the character right is uh, like comes in and like lives in the brain <laughs> their words, that's what you're creating instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And so as you create a character, it has to be their words, their references, their past life, their present, their hopes for the future. You know, that character then lives on stage. And so it's what you feel with them by engaging with your scene partner. Mm -hmm. And so I just try to feel as much as possible, not as myself, but as that character that I'm creating. Mm -hmm. So feel for that character and then let the words come from there. And I feel like that's where the most amazing moments that I've ever experienced come from, where I don't even know the words I'm saying because it's just coming from being committed to this character and really just looking in the eyes of my scene partner and listening to my scene partner and actually feeling it. How do you, this is, how do you invoke that character so that without needing to unnecessarily think too much, you're feeling that person's feelings. I make a choice immediately for something that I can control, uh, at the top of the scene that isn't controlling or directing my scene partner. Mm -hmm. So from the moment I, I, I step on stage, I'll feel something emotionally, mm-hmm. and then a character comes to me, or I'll make a, a physical choice with my body at the, at the top of the scene, and then a character comes to me, and I'm not directing or scripting my scene partner. I'm just doing a little bit of what I can control that gives me something palpable on stage at the top of the scene in the moment, mm-hmm. and then I just am focused on my scene partner. On the technical side... Uh, uh, moving a scene forward, what would be general advice that you would offer? Because I think that that is probably the number one cause of weird miscommunications or stilted or uh, the worry that you're not going to be able to move a scene forward keeps people either super static or keeps people in this weird headspace where they're trying to move everything forward Mm -hmm. and they never land anywhere. So when when you're in a scene and, and you kind of sense technically as a skilled improviser, okay, this needs to kind of move forward. What would be the kind of choice that you would make in order to do that? Yes, ending their ideas. Okay. Like just yes, ending the whole idea. Yes, ending and then just wanting them. Like wanting everything that your scene partner is giving you and using all of it, like whipping it up into this whole world that you can create on stage. Can you give me an example of wanting what your scene partner is giving you? Um, just embracing it fully beyond the literal sentence, okay. beyond the literal declaration, the whole idea, like the whole heat behind everything that they're saying, not just the words that they're saying. Uh-huh. So, so, so let's say that you and I were in a scene together and uh, uh, let's say I were to give you with, I'm, I'm just not happy. Mm-hmm. What would, how would you take that? How would you I'm like, embr- over- I would say I, so I am embracing your depression. Yeah. Like everything that is your unhappiness is something that I would like want to dig into. Hmm. 
you know, not just your words, but something in your, I would see something in your eyes, your hair is messy, I'd probably touch your hair, I'd probably smell your clothes, you haven't washed your clothes, you know, to just dig into the idea of why you're not happy. To really make it real for you. Yeah, and and to just fill out the stage, uh-huh. you know, because we're on this bare stage. So it's like, I want to, I want to fill it out. And then I'd probably go to myself. What is it about me that makes you unhappy? What, oh, you know, what's, what's, and when I say me, I, I mean my character. What's, a, what is it about my character? I know I'm disgusting. You know, my hair fell out from the chemo. How could you be happy? Jesus, look at me. I'm a fucking mess. I smell, you know, like I, like it's not my fault. The doctors say I can't bathe, you know, something just to like live in that world so that you're creating that world. And it goes beyond how do we pick apart these simple words of these three words of I'm not happy. Like rather than to try to pick apart those three worlds, you just grab and rip open and tear apart and fill out and and make this whole world living. Mm-hmm. Your your character's body is living. My character's body is living. And and as long as we're dropped in on their lives, their lives are like ripped open and mm-hmm. palpable and vivid on stage. Uh, that's amazing. I love that idea of wanting what the other person's giving you hundred percent like to want and i it's only lately lewis that i've embraced that word want because i find it sexual (laughs) like i think like the like uh if somebody was really going to say something meaningful to me it's it's not even i love you it would be i want you like i want you like the i love you is assumed in the i want you but the i want you is so meaningful right and so it's only recently that i've started saying want your scene partner in improv because i can uh, now be like, it's not sexual. It's just the idea of like, I really want to be on stage with you. Like you mean that much to me. And when you're on stage with someone that you really are aware that you're making them feel wanted, uh, everything else comes, you know? But there is something sexual to that, right? Because it it like, it it brings an electricity. Mm -hmm. When you want another person, you may not want their body, but when you want another person it's desire it's desire and it that creates electricity and that enhances intensifies any moment that you're in it makes every single thing uh special if like if you know if you're with someone and 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 maybe you're developing feelings for them and you suspect that they're developing feelings for you right yeah every little thing that they say Matters, matters so much more Huge. than any and and the, the most casual conversation is just full of meaning meaning and mystery Care. and excitement yeah. and it is totally <laughs> yeah. sexual yeah and so that, that's such an interesting way to frame it i want my scene partner i want what you have to give me i want what you're doing right now that's and you want to feel wanted yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well it's also like that to me sort of feels a little bit like treat your treat your partner like poets and geniuses, mm-hmm. but you know when somebody is looking at you and 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 there's attraction in their eyes, you feel attractive. Yes, and absolutely, and you can feel it on stage. Like that's why I think eye contact is so important, and it is something. It's almost something I say now, like when I I I, I get on stage, is like I'm I want this. <laughs> And yeah. I want every, I want all of their ideas. I want everything that they're going to say. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing way to, thanks. That's great. I say it to my, I, I said it to my last round of classes that, that I taught. And I think I like, my students were like, oh, but I'm like, yeah, I think it, I think it really says it all. Want, want the people that you are on stage with and it matters. It, it, yeah. It matters to feel wanted. You know, when you feel, when you know, when you your scene partner wants you. 
Christina Gaussis. It's always the deepest pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> this so was amazing. You. This is oh great. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Thank you. We didn't even get to the list of people I that we're going to talk about. It's amazing. amazing. I've seen partners. Uh, Allie Kemper is a genius. Uh, uh, <laughs> please come see Christina and Allie. Uh, well, this is actually out, be out after. So I hope that you guys listening to this have seen Christina and Allie perform. Uh, uh, but look them up. Ooh, anything uh, that you want to plug going forward? Now that's it. Thank Fabulous. you so much. It's so much. So good to talk with you. So good talking with you too. Thanks. And thank, thank you. you guys for listening. This has been the Magnet Theater Podcast brought to you by the Magnet Theater Training Center. We offer classes in improvisation, sketch comedy, musical improv, storytelling, character creation, all kinds of wonderful stuff. You can find out all about our classes and our wonderful shows at magnettheater.com. Special thanks to our producer, Evan Ford Barden, our engineer, uh, Grant Michael Goldberg, our executive producer, Ed Herpsman, uh, and to you guys for listening if you guys enjoyed the podcast please go on to itunes and give us a positive rating even a nice comment would be more than welcome if you didn't enjoy the podcast well good for you for sticking it out this long uh, uh and please don't comment if you didn't enjoy it because the world needs less of that thank you guys so much for listening thanks christina gausses thanks Lewis. bye everyone bye 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 <laughs> you've been listening to the magnet podcast 